This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey guys, Toby Mathis here. And today I have Sean Waddell, who's the CEO of a group that I particularly, that I actually use, but it's the National Real Estate Insurance Group, and they work with insurance products for landlords, investors like, like myself, and probably like you. So uh, first off, welcome, Sean. Toby, thanks for having me, man. Thrilled to be here. Yeah, and today we're going to just get right to the cut, right to the chase. We want the top things that you are seeing people get sued for as landlords, and this is unlike if I talk to a lawyer, I'm going to get you know the things that they want to sue people for. But as an insurance, uh, as an insurer, you're actually seeing what are the major claims, and that's what I think is really important here. Is what's the reality? Like, what are people getting sued for? And what are the top four? Let's just do that. What are the top four that you see over and over again? That's a, it's a complicated topic because top four, but to go into 150 or 200, there's, there's all kinds of craziness going on right now. But in our world, we see, you know, slip and falls. We see canine bites, dog bites. We see a lot of wrongful eviction and, and then tenant discrimination are probably, I would tell you, are the four leading that we see most common, at least in our program. And I think it holds true for really any kind of real residential real estate investment properties for liability coverage. So slip and falls, tenant discrimination, wrongful eviction, dog bites, any particular order you, that you see, this is the number one, like, Hey, like in your office, you're always like, yeah, this is what everybody gets sued for. Yeah. Slip and falls are by, by far number one, you know, kind of any kind of like accident that maybe occurs on premise, whether it's your tenant or someone visiting your tenant is by far number one, two, three, and four kind of just fluctuate by month. We are seeing more canine bites, more dog bite kind of claims that we've seen in the past. And that just could just be by accident. I don't know. But, you know, slip and fall is by far number one. So let, let's dive into each one of these. So slip and fall, what is a landlord typically liable for? And if you can, give us some helpful hints as to how much coverage you should really get. We'll get into umbrella later as to whether we want to add that layer too. But, but just give us kind of rules of thumb of what you're seeing for landlords. Yeah, I think probably the most common thing we see is, you know, landlords that maybe have been made aware of an issue that, that is, that is on premises. Maybe a stair, a step is loose, a hand, a handrail is loose. And before they have an opportunity to go out and actually repair the issue, the incident happens to where they, they would be deemed a negligent party. Um, and that could be, again, that could be your tenant notifying that or could be somebody there just that just happened to be there visiting. So to, you know, a lot of the interior type stuff of the house, not so much on the outside, uneven pavement sidewalks, things of that nature can kind of, kind of tricky as well. But oftentimes it's on the inside of the house that maybe just, you know, deferred maintenance that maybe hasn't gotten to yet. You know, nothing, nothing on purpose, just that the landlord has no time to get there. What are the sizes of these claims? Like you see, are these more like a nuisance? Like, oh man, I got this, but it's going to be $25,000 to get out of it and I move on. Yeah. I mean, that's the advantage of having a premises liability uh, policy with a medical expense payment sublimit attached to it. And typically those are anywhere from a thousand to ten thousand dollars, depending on the contractor, the carrier that you're insured with. And these are really for these types of minor incidents that would you know, basically take that sublimit and pay that injured party to make them whole again with a waiver sign that they're not going to come back on you later so that it doesn't snowball into one of these things that could cost twenty five, fifty, seventy five thousand or more for for whatever reason they they get an attorney, they 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 decide to sue you and then medical payments go through the roof. So it's it's designed just to kind of negotiate your way out of that thing. So they extend the coverage without even getting sued. You're just you're just saying, hey, a tenant slip and fell. Hey, we're going to pay the medical, et cetera. 
on these types of policies, are there big uh, deductibles? What should somebody be looking for? Yeah, so typically there's not. So it, I can speak in our program, all of our coverage on liability is first dollar coverage, meaning there's no deductible. That can range between the carriers. Um, typically, you're not going to see more than maybe 2500 or 5000 Liabilities looked at very differently than property is in terms of deductibles because they're, they're more of a nuisance than anything to the carrier. Because if you think about on a property loss, you know, the loss is adjusted less whatever the property deductible is, right? If you're carrying 10,000 and your loss is 100, they're going to adjust it if it's 90 because 10,000 is the, is the amount that you agree to self-insure, right? That's oversimplified because there's other factors that go into it, obviously. On a liability loss, though, those the, the claims paid to the injured party. So the carrier would, would pay that, whatever the total claim is, and then actually invoice the client for that deductible, and they have a hard time collecting it. So we do first dollar coverage. Something you never want to do is try to negotiate your deductible on the liability side. It's just, it's set by the contract, and doing that really is looked at as one a negative from a carrier. They're looking at it going, wow, what are we getting into? Are there minor instances that we see maybe a, a, a pattern of these things that you're trying to cover up that it's only a matter of time till we get hit with the big one? So just whatever, first dollar is the best to go to, but a thousand's not uncommon to see. And you said it's about a thousand dollars a year to cover that type of coverage, or is it, is that per property or what is, what are we looking at as far as costs? Yeah. Costs on a premises liability, the, the medical expense payment is just a, a sublimit that's included in that form. Um, and depending on where you're at in the United States, because there are some areas of the country that are, are more difficult than others, litigious states, things like that, um, that are more likely to pay out on some claims where maybe other states would not. And, it's, and it also depends on the carrier's individual kind of history with that given state, but it's going to range anywhere from, you know, seven to $8 per unit per month. And it can go as high as 40 or $50 per unit per month, just depending on where you're investing. That's not bad. I mean, I just, you said, you said per unit per month. So if I have 20 units, I have 20 uh, single family residences. I could be, I could be walking for, you know, have this coverage for about 140 bucks in the low end. And obviously whatever that is, a thousand bucks a year for all of them on the higher end. Is, is, is that accurate? That would be your monthly cost, right? So when I'm, when I'm speaking, we're speaking monthly reporter, monthly cost, that's what we do. But yes, and, but the advantage to, to that too as well. So you should know that, man, you're a client, right? <laughs> but, but it's, I was just saying, dang, that seems cheap. Yeah, like you're, yeah, we're charging you too much, right? No, it's, um, yeah. it, the, the advantage to doing this though is you're getting per limits of coverage or per location limits of coverage. I mean, excuse me. So instead of sharing um, with that single $1 million limit of coverage with a $2 million mm-hmm. aggregate amongst all of your properties, we give you those individual limits per location. So whatever happens at location one doesn't affect your limits included on location three. So that's the advantage of it. That's, and, and that's fair. If somebody makes a claim, do you see, does it adjust the uh, the cost of the insurance if they have one or two claims here and there? Or is it uh, is it something where they should be very, very careful about submitting claims? Yeah, that's, that's a slippery slope, right? So it depends on really, when you work with a program like us, it's a little bit different. We have the flexibility just to be able to, you know, isolate that one location that maybe has some loss history. If the carrier mm-hmm. wants to charge them a little bit more money on that location, it doesn't affect your remaining portfolio, which is a huge advantage. Not every carrier is like that. Some of them will look at it and say, if there's one instance, then boom, we're going to hit you with this big increase. Um, and some of them don't. Some of them understand that they're, you know, MedPay is not, the medical expense supplement is not designed to increase your costs, right? So if you mm-hmm. if you have these that settle out now, if there's a pattern, sure. But and every carrier is different. So I know it's kind of a, a, a difficult answer, but it just depends on the appetite. That's my job as your broker is to control that. Yeah, don't be afraid to make a claim. In other words, because uh, I, I know this is a because I've I've been there. Is I'm very reluctant to make large claims on insurance products because it's more costly on the size of the portfolio we have. That we don't want that little bit of an increase. But if if they're isolating it for property, 
makes it a lot easier to make that decision. It, it does. And when we're talking about, about property coverages, like a fire, a wind, a wind loss, something like that, you've got some flexibility there to where if you want to cover it out of, uh, out of pocket and you can afford to do so, then absolutely do it. You know, liability is the unknown. Um, and I would never tell you to do that. So you actually have an obligation by when you enter into the contract with your liability insurance company to notify them of any potential loss or incident that has occurred on site, whether the, anything comes out of it or not. Part of yeah. what you're paying for is access to their legal teams. So hand that over to them and let the experts do their work. You just did something that's actually really big because it's kind of like legal insurance. It's sometimes it's not the cost of the claim. That's the costly part. It's the having to defend yourself and that the insurance does that for you. Correct. And you want to make sure that those defense costs that they provide are outside of the limits of insurance they provide to you. So if I'm giving you a million dollars per occurrence to settle, you know, slip and falls, personal injuries, wrongful deaths, wrongful deaths are going to get really expensive. And if your defense costs are inside of those limits and your defense costs go to $750,000, you've only got 250000 left to make that injured party whole again or their families. More likely, you're going to pay some more, some more money out of pocket, which is where umbrella or excess liability policies can come into play. Or you look at defense costs outside the limits like what we provide. Let's touch on that real quick. We'll get into the, the we, we have three more to go through, but let's just talk about umbrella real quick and excess coverage. What are these things? Because they're, they're misunderstood and a lot of people don't really understand exactly what they are. Yeah. So one of the things we always try to caution our, or tell our clients is that they're not a magic bullet. Um, the common misconception is that umbrellas co- cover everything and you don't need anything but an umbrella policy and it, you could not be more wrong. Umbrella policies don't provide any coverage to your property. So it's not going to cover fire, wind and hail, theft losses. It's simply a way to garner additional liability coverage above and beyond whatever your primary or under, underlying liability policy provides to you. And yeah, that does, that can depend on the investor and what they feel is sufficient. So in our program, and like for your for your portfolio, Toby, you know it's a million dollars per occurrence that we provide with a two million dollar annual aggregate limit per location. So think about that as the maximum amount of liability coverage you're going to have for any number of losses that happen over twelve months that is going to reset to a new limit at your renewal date. Some investors look at that and say that's per location. I've never had an instance that's anywhere near exceeding that. I'm comfortable with that limit. Now there's other investors that say. I don't know if that's enough. I've had some bad stuff happen. And, they, and then at that point, they want to and they want to look at an umbrella or an excess liability policy that can provide them additional limits above that million dollars per occurrence. We can go up to you know $200 million per portfolio if needed and everywhere in between. The sweet spot that we see a lot of our investors look at is when they start to get around seven to 10 locations in their portfolio, they start to entertain umbrellas or excess policies. Yeah, because you don't want to put everything at risk and then use your entities too to minimize that. But, but, but Absolutely. not even a, not even an entity is a, a magic bullet. So it's always in combination. All right. Let's get back. So we had four of these. We had slip and fall, tenant discrimination, wrongful eviction and dog bites. So let's dive into the tenant discrimination. Cause I think, I think that's kind of one of those scary areas because you don't even have to do anything wrong. You just basically anybody could allege at any given time that you did things and you discriminated against them for immutable trait, right? Correct. And where we're seeing more of that is, is in, you know, choosing a tenant. So you've got an open, you've got an open unit and you've got, you know, two prospects that come in. If you choose one over the other, you know, that's where a lot of these are arising is, you know, prospect number two thinks they should have been chosen, but you chose prospect number one for whatever reason. And they, they file a, a tenant discrimination lawsuit against you. What I'd like to point out too is that if you, if you've got your property management company, so there's two things you can do here. You can certainly purchase a tenant discrimination liability policy that's going to be separate from your premises liability policy. And we offer that for you. And 
We do that for investors that are operating as a as their own property manager and aren't utilizing a third party, um, mm-hmm. so they can have that coverage for property management operation. Or if you're engaged with a third party property management company, of course, it's a great idea to have to make sure that they have liability coverage for for their management company. Tenant discrimination coverage should be included on that form. And you, as your as the as the owner or the investor and the LLC or the the corporation or whatever your owning entity is for those properties, need to be listed as additional insured on your property manager's liability policy so that their liability coverage extends to you if they're sued and you're named in that lawsuit for the tenant discrimination. Fair enough. And uh, what are the t- typical size of these claims? Are these big ones? Are these small, more nuisance suits? What are these? In our experience, they've been more small and nuisance, but that doesn't mean that holds true for, for every claim. Just in our experience in our program, it's it's been smaller. What are the biggest claims that you see? What are the ones that you go, oh my God? These are going to be, this is a big one. Is it, is it always wrongful death or, you know, the place burns down or somebody yeah, has serious injury or is it something else? On the liability side, it's, it's almost always slip and falls that are really, really just nasty. Looking at wrongful deaths, particularly if there's children involved, um, there, there can be, there can be some really nastiness to them. And it's just disappointing to see. And it feels like a little bit gets taken out from you each time you see one of those. Cause I mean, they're, they're heart wrenching. Some of the things that happen and, you know, Fortunate that liability comes in there to, to try to make liability insurance comes in to try to make things as right as possible. But there are some there are some more stories that I don't want to share that would mm-hmm. would make everybody's heart cringe. Sometimes it's not even something that the landlord did intentionally. Sometimes they do some self-help and they just don't follow a code or something like that. And the, the result, especially when there's infants and things like that, it's just heart wrenching. Uh, but, but massive amounts of liability. That's why you do. You stack everything. You get a good coverage. Make sure you got ex- extend that uh, that liability coverage with an umbrella, and uh, and hopefully you can make those parties whole because accidents do happen. You know, as, as much as we like to pretend they don't. All right. So we have tenant discrimination, slip and fall. Let's go to the third one: wrongful eviction. What happens there? How big are these came, uh, these, claims? Too. These are typically drawn out for a long period of time. These can get pretty expensive. It's just important that. Each state could be a little bit different on kind of what the eviction process is. And, you know, we always recommend that our investors get legal advice before they start that eviction process, regardless of how ironclad you think your your lease agreement is. Mm-hmm. The, somebody will poke a hole in it and it can get expensive. Wrongful eviction is a, is a coverage you need to purchase separately. It's not going to be included on premises liability or general liability form for that matter. But you can buy it depending on where you're at in the country and will greatly determine costs. And it's all driven off kind of history on how these cases are typically favored. But uh, but yeah, you can buy it. The other thing that's important to note, and it's a little bit off liability coverage, but something that we offer in our program is our tenant protector plan, which is kind of our version of renter's insurance that is available to all of our investors. That Not a bad idea. Yeah, that has a sublimit for skip rent where eviction is one of those kind of caveats or, or coverages that would be included in that skip rent. So it's a sublimit that would pay our investors a, a one-time payment of a thousand dollars while they're when the eviction process is completed while they're while you're looking to find another tenant. So it, it tries to minimize the financial hardship. So eviction is one of the four things that kind of would trigger that skip rent payment. If that's something that you choose to, to engage in or want to talk more about, you can obviously contact us, but just trying to minimize, you know, the financial hardship to the investors. Um, before we get to the last one, you've mentioned a few different types of coverage that's not included in a typical landlord policy. So I'm sure a bunch of people are going, do I have that? Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, how do you find out? Do you have to contact your insurance company or should they contact you? What, should somebody review that policy? What should they do? 
always contact your agent. Um, your agent should be able to tell you that from the get go. And it sh- uh, by the way, it should have been discussed with you when you went into the original contract with that agent and with that insurance company. But you know, your your investors and, and myself alike. I mean, I've got several liability policies. You're going to retain 10% of that. And you need to make sure that you go back and, and you're adequately covered. And I mean, make your agent earn their money, and that and includes my team. So call them and make them walk you through those those coverages and make sure that you're adequately covered and, and make have them make recommendations to you on, on where you think maybe you're exposed. We don't want anybody to go insurance poor. That's not the case here. But what it is is to make sure that you have enough liability coverage to help you sleep at night. And that's a different answer for every investor on the planet. Yep. I'll put a link to you guys, by the way, in the show notes. And then you also had a PDF that you shared with me on the different types of coverage you want coverages you might want to have. Can I share yep. that with my folks too? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So I'll, I'll post both of that down in the show notes, guys. There'll be a link if you want to talk to Sean and his team and also a handy dandy PDF that goes over the different types of coverages. All right. Last one, dog sure. bites. I noticed that you didn't put cat scratches or cat <laughs> bites, dog bites. I have cats. Yeah. So I, I, I have a difficult relating. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what, are we, what are we seeing on dog bites? How are you liable as the landlord there? Well, the biggest thing is not enforcing your lease agreement. If, or one of the biggest things is not enforcing your lease agreement because obviously most of these lease agreements are going to have no vicious breeds, right? And mm-hmm. if your tenants listen to you and kept the, the Yorkies when they moved in, probably this doesn't happen. But you know, unless you're boots on the ground and you're in there looking at your, your investment properties weekly, these things change over time and tenants aren't always listening to you or abiding by every bit of the of lease agreement. And six months later, you go by and there's, there's, there's pit bulls in the front yard, right? So the landlord would be deemed a negligent party because it's their premises that they own. So if the, if, even if the kid's running across the property, doesn't live there, out with, for a walk with his parents and the dog that, that is residing at your property with the family bites that kid, then the, the investor is going to get drugged into that. And I'm certain most landlords have no idea they even have exposure for that. Like they're like, what? I could be yes. sued and all I did is rent uh, and it says no dogs. And then they bring in, uh, uh, I guess you'd say vicious breed. Is that, is that the typically what the states look at is they say d- different types of breeds are treated differently? More like the, what, how the insurance policies look at it. So, um, most insurance policies out there are going to have vicious breed exclusions. And, you know, if you, if you rewind three or four years ago, there were probably 10 or 12 breeds on there. And now there's upwards of 20, some of which I've, I've never heard of the breed, Toby, but. You know, they're, they're apparently vicious and there's a history of them biting people. So, you know, insurance companies are doing everything they can to, pr- to protect themselves as they should. But, you know, you want to look at two things. You want to make sure there's no vicious breed exclusion or like what ours does. Ours has no vicious breed exclusion on the policy. And then you also want to look at what the limit of coverage is. They're typically not going to go up to the full limits of a million per occurrence. It's going to be sublimited like what ours is at either twenty five or fifty thousand dollars, depending on the, the contract that, are, that oh, wow. you're purchasing. So you, you have some serious exposure there. Like this Yeah, is not- they're. Exactly. The other thing you can do, Toby, is we also have a product called Canine Guard that mm-hmm. you can, as the investor, require your tenants to buy. If they're going to have a dog, then they can log into to our platform and actually buy liability coverage for their dog. And it's it's all dependent. Mm-hmm. The cost is all dependent on the breed and the weight, and if there's a history of bites. And then you, as the in, as the investor or owner of the property, would be named as additional insured. So that God forbid that were to happen, the first line of defense would be that liability policy that the investor purchases. <laughs> That you'd be covered for, and then yours would work in excess if the settlement went above whatever that would be provided. Are these pretty? I mean, these must be decent sized claims because if and it's a dog, right, generally speaking, it's face and 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 some pretty serious injury, right? Yeah, they can be. Yeah, some 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 are fortunate enough to to pay out in the med pay limit. Those are minor instances, but more more often than not, yeah, they they get a little pricey. Dang! Oh my gosh. Okay, yeah. so uh, 
and more stuff to consider. All right. So that's the four slip and fall, tenant discrimination, wrongful eviction and dog bites. Are there any other considerations we should be thinking of right now, this day and age? Yeah. I mean, wh- where do we start? Right. I think another one that we always try to focus on is on if you're, if you're doing renovations on your property, um, before you occupy it with a tenant, if you're working through a general contractor. You know, the one, one other thing that we always push our investors to do is if you're working through a GC to make sure that they provide you with coverage, proof of their liability coverage that covers their company. You should be listed as additional insured on their policy for the duration of time that they're on site working for you. And if they have employees, they need to provide you proof of workers' comp coverage. And all you're trying to do there is just make sure that if they do something negligent on your property, they, their liability extends to you, right? They leave a ladder in the front yard, kid runs across the front yard, trips on the ladder, breaks his leg. Everybody involved is going to get sued. You don't want your liability policy having to respond to that. That could affect your rates for up to five years for that payout, right? When you really didn't do anything wrong other than making sure the contractor had adequate liability coverage to cover that loss. There are some really crazy ones that I could that I could go into here as well, that where contractors, where our investors have been able to subrogate against that contractor's policy because they had coverage and the, and the contractor was the negligent party. Mm-hmm. What about mold? We hear about mold all the time, especially like in California and some states that seems like it's a cornucopia, a bonanza for the lawyers there. How serious of an issue is that and, and, and what can uh, landlords do? Mold, mold a difficult one on the liability side. On the property side, you know, you can, you can buy coverage for mold. Our policies come with majority of our property policies. Not all of them now. I'd have to look. We have so many of them, but, um, come with limited mold coverage, uh, typically mm-hmm. sublimited to 15 or $25,000. On the liability side, mm-hmm. you know, you can buy, you can buy pollution coverage. It's expensive. It's very expensive to do that. Now we have a, we have a total, we have, we have most liability policies have a total pollution exclusion in them, which would, you know, not cover any pollutants. We do have pollution coverage up to the policy limits, so a million dollars per occurrence, but that's for pollutants that emanate from a heating source inside the home. So think if you have a tenant that gets sick or God forbid they pass away from carbon monoxide poisoning that was coming from the fireplace in the house, right? That's a wrongful death claim that's going to get really expensive really quickly. And if you don't have coverage for that, you're on your own to, to defend that and, and to settle that as the investor. So that's why we put that back in there. Mold's a tough one though. It's typically excluded everywhere on the liability side that you need to, that you need to buy separately. For instance, it's like that. All right. Well, I think you've been uh, very, very helpful here and that hopefully folks took away uh, a couple lessons. Maybe there's a, a few, oh my gosh, moments yeah. uh, where someone's going to run and check their policy. Good. Go check it out. Make sure it's better to, it's better to have that little bit of anxiety and go figure it out ahead of time before, uh, or, you know, rather than find out when you actually need to use the coverage and you have an exclusion or you don't have coverage. So. Uh, I'll put Sean's uh, uh, contact information again, a, a link so you can talk to talk to his organization and also the PDF. I'll put that down in show notes. But I just want to say thank you for coming in and sharing your knowledge with us, buddy. Thank you for having me, Toby. Anytime, I'm always uh, always uh, happy to join and help. Fantastic, thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 